You're listening to Good Mornings, the podcast talking all things grief with honesty and humour. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. We are your hosts, Sal and Im, and we are back with our very first guest episode of the season, which we are very excited about. Oh, it's such a good one as well, guys. But before we get into today's conversation, Im, mate, how are you doing? It was your mum's third anniversary this week, and I want to know how you are. Oh, my God, what a way to kick off the episode, Sal. <laughs> it was <laughs> Straight literally... in there, no messing around, guys. Yeah, it was literally yesterday. Um, mm. So I'm having the come down. You know how we've talked about like the anniversary come down? Um, I was so irritable this morning. Yesterday I was okay. Actually, I felt okay. Um, But yeah, this morning really irritable, which has taken me by surprise. I was like so snappy. I was meant to get a package delivered this morning, as you know, and it's not coming today. I'm like end of the fucking world meltdown over this package not coming. I'm like, oh my God, chill, mate. Um, the Annie but... come downs are real though. They, <laughs> Annie come downs. The Annie come downs are so <laughs> real. Like it's so, he- like it's such like a, it's like a heavy kind of, oh, irritable feeling, isn't it? Like you're heavy. So you're snappy. Like, yes. Yeah, so snappy. Yeah. Now actually, I feel like I had a very similar experience to you, Sal, around your three-year anniversary, death anniversary. Um, and I have been feeling the grief like really heavily in my body. Um, but I haven't been crying as much. Like yesterday I had like a little like tear, little cry about it, but not a full on big cry, which is, was surprising for me. Um, I've been thinking about my mum a lot. And at the same time, like, it's just feeling like so long ago since she was alive, but then also like just yesterday that I could just pick up the phone and call her. It's just Mm. this head fuck. And always the days like leading into the day I find really hard like physically I could feel my chest tightening up um yeah just I hold a lot of like tension in my chest and that's where I feel my grief rising yeah. um, so I think my body was reminding me that yeah it's coming up it does the body keeps the score and I feel like it's can it, it stop keeping the fucking score yeah because can- what ever from the grief gang posed that once I'm like yeah ready for the body to stop yeah. keeping the score okay can you fucking not please um <laughs> but that is also perfect for today's convo because that is exactly what we're discussing grief in the body also I feel like you need to tell us all about your incredible kundalini session with Rebecca Jacks Oh my Lord. Okay, guys. So like, obviously last episode, I've talked about how one of the things that I found most beneficial is like working with Rebecca Jacks. This is not sponsored in any way, shape or form. I just absolutely love her. We love her and everyone needs to know about the work that she's doing. Um, I feel like we're basically her PR people at this point. (laughs) I know, we're like the biggest hype girls ever. Um, But honestly, I have so much to thank her for. So Rebecca sort of moved away from the breath work and moved into doing something called Kundalini activation yes yeah, so what is that in, for anyone who doesn't know because I don't think a lot of people have heard of it no um so basically we all have this energy within our bodies that lives in the base of our spine in our base chakra called the kundalini energy and it doesn't just activate by itself it sits dormant until you do something like a kundalini activation sounds really wild um but just go with it 
And basically Rebecca has activated her Kundalini energy and can activate other people. So she does these um, Kundalini activation um, sessions. And when I went to Bali, I actually forgot to fill you in, you guys in on our last episode. Um, I actually saw Rebecca in person. We met in real life for the first time, which was incredible. And um, I took um, my friend Elle and we had a Kundalini ceremony together And it was insane. It was so insane. Like my body was like, something was taking over my body and I was doing all these like physical movements and like releasing so much stuff. Yeah. And that's it. When you look at her Instagram, she's Mm. got videos, hasn't she, of her doing the Kundalini, uh, what do you call them? Kundalini activations. And people are like convulsing, aren't they? It's like, you know. (laughs) like doing the worm like. it was like an exorcism and like ben was joking he's like she's going to get exercise i was like you're basically getting all the trauma out of my body like i'm here for it whatever, whatever oh it so good so good and yeah. you felt so much better didn't you afterwards and after so this session good. as well yeah so yesterday i booked in for a virtual one i was like oh i don't know how the virtual one's going to work like how does she work virtually with energy but you know energy is something that like is everywhere so she can work virtually which is incredible and I had the similar like physical experience that I had with her in person which was wild um and I had like this big yeah it it was really intense and it was exactly what I needed ahead of the anniversary Mm -hmm. um I had this really intense kind of moment you go on this journey through the session so it's two hours and like um it takes you to wherever you need to be, whatever you need to work through and work on and whatever needs to be released from your body. And um, so for me, it, I didn't even consciously know this, but it took me straight to the day my mum died, which is obviously something that I still need to process. And like, it took me to the place where she was and I was like holding her and comforting her. And I, it was so painful and like excruciatingly painful, but it was releasing something and I spoke to Rebecca after afterwards and she described like what I was doing was reinventing the day to make it more bearable for me to move forward and also let, releasing her and letting her go from that day and not holding on to that being a memory of my mum um so that was a really powerful experience I had and I was just like holding her and like mm. oh, it was wild um and, and Rebecca actually messaged you about that didn't she afterwards? oh my god she messaged me afterwards and was like I was actually having like a psychic thing and I was there with you on the cliff and I've never talked about how my mum died on this podcast but yeah so I was on the headland with her and um just holding her and we were holding hands side by side looking out to the to the sky and it's almost like I let her off into the sky okay. and it was so powerful um but yeah it's like reinventing that day as something that I've needed to do so it doesn't always feel so heavy mm. um and Rebecca yeah she said that she was like there with us like it was yeah it was very powerful um I'm really proud of you for facing that Im. it's not an easy thing to do and it's no wonder that you feel so heavy today <laughs> so heavy. and that you felt heavy yesterday as well because that's a lot to process yeah. and a lot of energy that's moving through you as well oh my god I messaged you last night I'm like Sal I've been watching Love Island on my laptop I'm not able to parent this afternoon I ordered curry for dinner <laughs> and I'm not moving and it was exactly what I needed <laughs> um no judgment you need those you need those arvos it's absolutely <laughs> fine <laughs> need those arvos but quickly before this turns into a whole episode on its own <laughs> 
I've got to share the sign that I had as well with yes. the Kundalini sign. So at the end of it, Rebecca suggests to like write down um, any kind of manifestations that you want in your life. And I asked for a sign from my mum because um, I haven't for a while. And so this is something that you didn't even know about, which I thought you would have known, but I had a nickname with my mom called Stingray. I'd call her Venezia Stingray. And you didn't even know about this. No. But it stemmed from, um, I used to like make a joke with my mom because one time she adopted a Stingray. Like, I don't even know how you do that, but she had the adoption paper on the fridge and she called it Venezia Stingray because her name was Vanessa and she liked, you know, to think she was Italian. So she called it Venezia. Um, hilarious. <laughs> so yesterday I wrote down and you saw this, like I wrote in my, we were on the phone when diary. you were like, oh my God. When it happened, when I got yeah. the sign, we were on yeah. the phone because I'd written the, the sign out in my diary and I wrote the date and I was like, mum, if you're like with me, guiding me, show me the stingray, show me stingray, give me that sign. And so anyway, I was talking to you hours later going through my notes of the session and I was in some old moldy notebook that I haven't used forever. You know, those ones that you just find in the bottom of drawers and stuff. And obviously I'd written my mum a letter and I like open the back of the back of the um the journal upside down and the first page that I turned to it was a letter I'd written to my mum probably years ago like it was definitely a letter from the early grief days and it said dear mum Venezia Stingray <laughs> what the fuck oh so I got the sign like straight away and like the letter was heartbreaking you read it Sal so the last bit in it was like, I said in the letter, please guide me and show me you are still here. And that's exactly what I was asking for on the sign. And it's like, I got the sign straight away. So that was wild. Wild. I absolutely love that. And it yeah. was so special to be on the phone to you when you got that signed as well. And it was just what you needed. I know. Yeah. Just what uh, you I'm okay. I'm doing okay. Like I'm on the come down, but exciting things happening for us. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to focus on the positives at the moment. And I love that you gave yourself permission just to slob about. Yeah, you need to. I'm really proud of you, Em. Thank you. And tell us what's been happening in your world this week. We've got a lot going on because our book launches next week, which is mental. So we've been doing lots of media interviews, haven't we? And like lots of things to prep for that, which is really exciting. And we're going tomorrow to do a book signing at Booktopia. Um, so lots happening. This was the meltdown that I had. The dress that I wanted to wear tomorrow didn't arrive today. So that was the meltdown that I had today, guys. So gonna have we to found some it. solutions though, didn't we? We found some alternatives. All yeah, is so not lost. just come into your house in the next five hours, FYI. So keep an eye out for that. Okay. Backup outfit. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, enough of us. Um, talking of today's guest and the topic that we've been just been discussing about grief in the body... We are speaking with the lovely Megan Reardon Jarvis, who some of you actually might already be familiar with because she's got an awesome podcast called Grief Is My Side Hustle. And we also have given her a new nickname, haven't we, Im? Which she actually is using now. It's MRJ, guys. Um, so cute. So cute. She's like, I'm signing off with this nickname now that you gave me. I'm like, I'm here for it. Anyway, <laughs> Megan is a trauma-informed grief and loss therapist. She's a writer, a speaker, podcaster, and she's just done some brilliant work in raising awareness of the mind-body connection and how grief impacts us physically, doesn't she, Im? 
This chat was so informative and I, I, I know a lot of grievers experience all sorts of physical symptoms after loss, like exhaustion, anxiety. And a lot of the time, I think people don't put two and two together that it can actually be caused by grief. Megan is on a mission to make grief something we all learn about and prepare for before we experience loss, which I absolutely love. And I wish we all knew about grief before we went into it. And it's something that needs to be taught in schools as well, which she talks about. Absolutely. And she talks about her experience with grief as well, because she's lost both of her parents. We talk a lot even about like anxiety and what's happening in our brain and how that then impacts our body. It's really, really enlightening chat. And I felt like I was like, oh my God, everything is starting to make sense now. You have um, loads of epiphanies in this conversation. So many epiphanies in this convo. So guys, we hope that you have loads of epiphanies too. And also talking of grief in the body, we actually have an entire chapter that talks about how grief impacts your body in our book um it's actually called when grief gets physical panic attacks exhaustion and all the other fun stuff so if you have already ordered a copy of our book or you want to know more definitely check it out because it's a really good chapter we will link it in our show notes and guys something that we also wanted to say is you may not realize that pre-orders are hugely important to authors and really do dictate the success of the book. So if you have enjoyed our podcast and content over the years, it would mean the absolute world to Sal and I if you pre-ordered a copy and shared it with your friends or family or anyone who you think may benefit from reading it because it will really help uh, our podcast and Good Morning as a whole. Absolutely. And we hope that it will really help you guys as well. So enough about us. Let's get into this very juicy convo with the lovely MRJ. I am so, so happy to be here with you both. I've had you in my listening to all the episodes, making sure I know everything. Oh my God, you got the Stripe memo too. Good to see. (laughs) I'm in this hotel room in um, New Mexico because it's going to be Thanksgiving for us this week. So we have our kids here and I did not really pack to be on a video. So I was like, wait, I can wear that one stripe. Everything else is like dark gray sweatshirts. And I was like, I got one stripey top. Need a bit of color. I meet you ladies. I know, likewise. I was going to say, normally we introduce ourselves, but we don't need to do that with you. (laughs) (laughs) I've been listening to you since the beginning. And this is just really, it's such a, it's such a dream to get to have this conversation. I'm, I'm really excited. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to have you join us too. We're big fans of your work and everything that you do and yeah, the more conversations we can have about the real facts of grief, the better. And you're doing such amazing work in raising awareness as well. Thank you. It's like a passion project. I know the same for both of you. I love your like, you know, your Marvel Comics origin story, which is, you know, something terrible happens, but something amazing comes out of it. And I just, you know, I I know that we are in the same club, like this is not what we thought we would be doing. And this is maybe not what we planned to be doing or trained in, but yeah, I mean, I just can't, I can't, I, I my husband said the other day, like, do you feel like you're slowing down? And I, I just don't think it's ever going to slow down. There was a reel you posted um, recently, Megan, that we both really related to. You were so vulnerable and raw in it. And I really appreciated that. Um, but it was about 
getting some news. You were getting some news about something and then you wondered what was wrong with you. Oh, it was the book deal. Oh my God. Now you can talk about it. Um, (laughs) And you were like, I'm really irritable and snappy, but I don't like, I don't know what's going on with me. And then you're like, oh, it's great. A lot of people watch that reel. And the reason I say those things out loud is like, I think I thought when I became a therapist that I was, I don't think this was a conscious thought, but I think I was like, oh, I'm going to circumnavigate all the rest of grief. And because I had early grief and loss in my childhood that was pretty traumatizing. And I think, you know, laid some track work across the rest of my life that I didn't really understand until I went to peel it away. Hmm. And I think when I was like, oh, well, I'm training in all the hardest therapies and I have read all the books and I know all the things. I think I was like, and therefore I am, you know, putting a hard candy coating and I will not feel those feelings. I will not get it wrong. I will know and put it all together. And what's super humbling about grief is you grieve with your body and you grieve with your mind and those, and grief distorts the regular track work and, and nobody gets to skip it doesn't matter how much education you've had or how many times you've grieved before. And so part of the reason I posted that reel was like, I mean, I really was like, oh shit, <laughs> this, is, this is because I'm heartbroken. Like I, how did I not put this together until one thirty in the afternoon? But for a lot of my clients, they don't put it together for three to five to seven years. Wow. Totally. And I can relate to that so hard because I'll often have weeks where, especially coming up to a big milestone where I'm like, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm snappy. Like I feel like lead, like I'm so tired yeah. And I'm like, Im, what's wrong with me? You know, like I've been I'm like, you're doctors. grieving, mate. You're yeah, grieving. And, like, <laughs> and even though we do this work, it's like, know. it still takes a wee while to like snap into place. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, it's grief. And and a lot of our listeners and a lot of our Instagram community don't put the two and two together either. And yeah. quite often we'll do posts about the physical, you know, impacts of grief. And they're like, I didn't even realize this exhaustion was grief. Yeah. And you guys know, that's like my bread and butter. That's what I like to talk about all day long is the mind. You know, people are like, I don't know if there's a mind body connection. I'm like, I don't care if you know it or not. There is a mind body connection. Like there are 12 cranial nerves. They go from your brain down into your body. Um, But, but part of the reason I talk about that a lot is because I monitor grief and loss boards And it kills me. I mean, my husband has pretty much forbidden me from giving free therapy over, you know, the internet because you're not supposed to do that anyway. (laughs) But it really hurts my heart when people are like, I feel crazy. My memory is crazy. You know, I'm Mm. tired all the time. I can't eat. What is wrong with me? Because we just already have enough information that it should be publicly understood that there is nothing wrong with you. Yeah. But because we leave grievers in the dark and we sort of pathologize and put to the side because it's not like hashtag winning, that information is not, even people who grieve and went through it don't necessarily like hand it down. There's still this, not shame around grieving, but maybe privacy Privacy. and insistence that we all have to reinvent our own wheel, which is crazy because we grieve in our bodies and bodies are relatable. And the, you know, the example I use all the time is when my daughter came home when she was 11 with the permission slip to take her, you know, human health class. And that class is all about puberty and it's pretty standard. And I don't know in the, in Australia, if you have it, but you know, we 
at, before kids go through puberty, they sit in these horribly awkward classes with adults who also teach like geography. It's like whoever they can get to do it and sit down and they talk about the biophysical experience of going through puberty and they give light levels. And we have dozens of books. One of them is from the American Girl Doll. That's that, mm. that book is the one that people like the most. And that is designed to give people information before they go through their experience, right? And to give grownups who don't know how to talk to little kids some threshold of like, try this, use this analogy, you know, mm. give less information. And, and we prepare them with that information so that when they hit these wacko times where their hormones are going crazy and they feel like they could cry at the drop of the hat and their skin is wild and their, you know, legs hurt because they're growing in their sleep, they're not worried that they have cancer. They're, they already, well, I'm turning 12. This is what this is. And there is literally no reason why we couldn't have the exact same class on grief and loss that we taught at a college level at, a, you know, what I hear when I say this, the biggest resistance that I hear is like, oh, grief is so personal. Like, mm. yes, I totally understand that. But again, going back to the puberty analogy, puberty is pretty personal too. Mm. But all we're doing is saying like, yep, you know, your boobs are going to come in, your balls are going to drop, your voice is going to change. Like the texture of your hair might change. We have all these things for, for pregnancy, which is also something that we do with our bodies. That book is intended for men to read too, so that they can show up for their partners. That's all I'm talking about is like a physical description that includes, you know, emotions. Yes. And there we go. And then people are like, no, that's normal. Maybe your boss could even say to you, that's normal. It's normal that like you can't remember numbers. It's so so interesting because it is so personal, but it's universal, right? Just like puberty, Mm. um, pregnancy, personal, but universal. It's wild when you think about it, actually, how ill-informed we are. Yeah. It's across culture. So again, I've read some gorgeous books. I know you had Hope Edelman. She's a good friend of mine. And, you know, she has this gorgeous book after grief where she describes all these different cultural rituals and cultural, like, that's amazing. Those, that is fantastic. That's there are some cultures that really embrace grief and loss, but also those people are grieving with their bodies too. Mm. So even though we have these different cultural ways of going through it, you know, there are some basics like Memory loss, for example, you know, there are a lot of folks out there who have books who say, yep, there's memory loss, but they stop short of explaining why. And I think there is, again, if you go back to the health class, we explain why, like, this is why you're bleeding at this time of the month. Let me take you through what's going on inside your body. Mm. And if you focus on explaining, and I have worked really hard to get this down to like, you know, a nugget. But being able to explain that the brain is the least sophisticated by your neck, the most sophisticated behind your forehead, and that information travels up this way. There's a little bouncer, which I know you guys have heard of, the amygdala, at the door back here. And depending on what your experience previous to grief, if you grew up in a chaotic childhood, if you've had trauma before... If you had, you know, 
physical things that happen to you, your amygdala may be really sensitive. And so what it does is it inflates. When it inflates, it acts like a block. It blocks the oxygen communication from going from the back, which is the most primitive, the most basic, to your most sophisticated critical thinking, which is by your forehead. So, so simple. The amygdala enlarges when there is a threat. You learn that someone died. You learn that someone has cancer. You learn that you're losing your job. You learn your husband wants a divorce. It's going to inflate. It's Mm -hmm. doing that to protect you. It's genius. It activates fight, flight, freeze. And then, and, and we also sort of get this wrong. Fight, flight, and freeze are on the activated side of the brain. So this is the second piece of critical information, which is your brain is divided in two parts. And I don't mean two parts like creative or mathematic. I mean, activated and calming. So the right side of the brain is where anxiety, where it sends the messages like, okay, let's be hypervigilant. Let's worry a lot. And again, you had my friend Claire Bidwell-Smith on your show. <laughs> had all your mates on. <laughs> all my buds, all my buds. And Claire has written a gorgeous book about anxiety. And anxiety, again, is adaptive. Anxiety is there to protect us. Anxiety is to keep us alive. But if yeah. you have these difficult things that have happened to you in the past, you may you may have hypervigilance. You may have more anxiety than you need. And that anxiety, when it gets too high, this is the most amazing thing that our brain does. It's like a cup that gets too full. Mm-hmm. It tips over. And it's almost like a nuclear nuclear reactor that turns the button and says, nope, we got to cool down. And so anxiety and depression are always present together. You may not be feeling depressed, but it might just be because you haven't you, you haven't gotten to the highest point of anxiety. But depression is the thing that comes in and says, ooh, we got to cool this whole thing down. Otherwise, we'll just spiral out of control. Like the anxiety is just, whoop. Right. And remember that all the time that your brain, so the right side of your brain is hot. You are so much, you feel so much danger, so much chaos. You are so worried. It's sending all kinds of signals down into the body. So now you maybe have diarrhea because your third cranial nerve is sending things down and venerating your digestive tract. And maybe you also have acid reflux and maybe you have muscle tension because Mm. anxiety does not just live in the brain. The brain is constantly sending messages down into the body. So when we tip over from anxiety, so there's fight, flight, and freeze. And all three of those are in our active side of our brain then we go into collapse or, you know, feign death, however you want to describe it. And that's on the other side. That is on your sedation, calm down side. And what's super amazing, and I know I, like, I could do the science all day. We have one, we have 12 cranial nerves that come down into our body. The 10th nerve is called, is called the vagus nerve. These other ones come down. The vagus nerve is a super highway and it takes information up. So we have this one nerve and that nerve, you guys will love this. That nerve develops at around four months in a, in a baby. And guess what else happens at four months? Babies can sleep through the night because 
They cry and they cry and they cry and they get to such a state of distress that they switch sides of the brain because the vagus nerve has developed and tells it to do that. And in comes the sedation part, Stop. the calming part. No, and that's why babies fall asleep at four months. There's like a biological reason. Isn't that totally amazing? Oh that my gosh. It is so interesting. And also when you're talking about the anxiety, then tipping over to depression, that's so yes. interesting to me personally. And I wish I'd known that because recently I had a really bad bout of anxiety, the worst that I've ever had for months to the point where I had to go on, I've had to go on anti-anxiety medication. And my um, psychiatrist said, it's like you, your anxiety has been so bad that it's tipped over into a bit of depression. Yep. But I'm like, I'm not depressed. This is a thing. So and, interesting. I've, and I've been battling with that, with that, haven't I? Because I've had yes. a few, like a few naturopaths yeah. and stuff saying you're depressed. And I'm like, I'm not depressed. Like, yeah. I don't think I'm depressed. Why are you so telling me that I'm brain. depressed? This yeah. is, this is, so I really, I like to be like, this isn't my phrase. This comes from Dick Schwartz and IFS, but I like to be the hope merchant. I have no judgment about the miracle with which our bodies and our minds show up to help us survive the things that are impossible. What, what does every griever say? Like, I can't do this. And then what do mm. we do? We do it anyway. We do it. Right. We do it. Right. I mean, it's bunkers. I still mm. don't really get it. And so that concept, first of all, I do think we have some judgment around anxiety and depression. Like we think we're failing at life, but if you look at it as reactive states, it just means you're paying attention to what's going on. Mm -hmm. You're not failing at being able to manage. And most of us that have anxiety, there's a huge, you know, it's there in families handed down across generations. And if you think about what epigenetics tells us and transgenerational trauma tells us is like, you know, we're not a blank slate when we're born. We have all kinds of, you know, things that have been handed inside our system already. And so if we can sort of strip past the judgment and just say, listen, if somebody's really anxious for a while, what their brain is going to do, because it's genius, is it's going to stir up some depression to help cool you down. And a lot of what I do in my work as a trauma therapist and, you know, I lived through this experience myself, which I'll talk about in a second, but a lot of what I do is say, tell me about your symptoms. Mm. I don't, I'm not here to judge them. I just want us to be able to manage them. Mm. And the more information you have, like one day I'm going to meet Oprah Winfrey and she's going to be like, I heard you talking trash about me all over the place because I say <laughs> this all the time, but it's true. Oprah often will have like a, you know, self-care section in her magazine. And what is in there is like, go for a run, take a lavender bath, you know, eat some dark chocolate as though all of those things are equal. But if you think about what we just talked about, which is if your activated state of your brain is high, you want to cool that shit down. Mm. So you're not, you know, what we're looking for is sort of the yin and the yang. How do we, how do we help you not necessarily not be intellectually anxious, but like, how are we going to show up for your physical anxiety? And so for some people, what they hear is they're supposed to meditate. Do you have any idea how hard it is for like a very busy brain to sit down and be quiet? Like, I'm pointing at Sal right now. I don't know if she's in the same spot on the screen. <laughs> Far out, you're speaking to her. And that bullshit is really unfortunate because then it's like, oh, well, I also can't meditate. I'm failing at this. 
as opposed to what I do is I say, listen, you know, it's really hard to sit still when your brain is that active. So maybe like a brisk walk, but also maybe a brisk walk with a friend because it it's grounding. Stephen Porges has this polyvagal theory, which says that actually we, we feel calmer in our bodies when we're connected to others. And I think that's been a big thing in COVID is that we've had so little connection to other people. Mm. One of the things that's really like humbling for me and it's, it's where I come onto the soapbox about the body is that for a very, very long time, when I was in an anxious state, which was easy for me to get into, I would throw my back out. And I don't know, it probably took me five years to like put the two things together. I was going to doctors who were like, you should do more sit-ups and have more core control. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably not going to do that though. And then the sort of one-to-one ratio of like, oh, this is my body's way of making me attend to whatever of the stillness that I need to balance Mm. out this heavy energy. And, and so I think, you know, I've been a trauma therapist, a trauma-informed therapist for 20 years. And I came to that work sort of having gone to therapy, thinking I was going to therapy because I had a terrible breakup. And at the end of that very first session, that therapist was like, well, you know, we might also talk about your family and your childhood. And I was like, those are not the problem. It's really just this guy was such a jerk. You know, 10 years later, I'm now training to be a therapist myself. And I really have come to understand, and part of my memoir talks about this, that there was a death in my childhood of a beloved teenager. And it just laid the track work for me to be anxious we, you know, it was, it was like in the eighties, it was 1983 and people didn't, they thought not talking to kids about grief or hiding or shielding was the way to go. But as this little sensitive girl and I could feel when, you know, parents would stop talking and Mm -hmm. I made up my own ideas, which is what most kids do about why, you know, why this teenager died, you know, why other people were crying about it. And I didn't really come to understand how it informed all of my thoughts, all of how I felt in my body until I did this sort of 10 years of therapy. So I become a therapist myself. I focus on grief and loss. I love the work. I'm good at the work. I train in all the things that help symptoms like EMDR and trauma-informed, you know, somatic therapies. You've had people talk about these on your show before. And I, you know, I think this is going to be it. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life and I'm just going to help other people, right? That's my mission. I love it. Right. That's the plan. I'm just going to be a helper with all the things that I've learned for myself. And then in 2017, my, well, 2016, my dad was diagnosed with small cell cancer, which is a death sentence. And about, I knew he had about a year to live. There was sort of a, a variety of core understanding of his health amongst my family, but I understood. And I spent that year going back and forth and spending time with him. We didn't have the easiest relationship, but, um, but it was, it was easy to be around him. And I got to participate in his death. My mom died in 2019 when I was on vacation with her Mm. and it was a totally different ballgame. I mean, my dad's, I was regulated. I was okay. It wasn't traumatizing. It was very sad. And my mom's, I mean, the minute 
I learned that she died, a thought popped into my head, which I knew to be a rumination because I'd read all the books and talked to all the things and treated all the people. Um, but that didn't mean I could stop it. And it was, it's your fault. She died. Mm. And I progressively, you know, you do all the stuff you guys know, all the funeral stuff. And then that kind of like pulls away and it's just you. And in my Mm. case on my porch swing and my thoughts really were relentless and I couldn't stop them. Mm. And I ended up checking myself into an inpatient facility that I send all my clients to and got the same super intensive treatment. And I came out after three weeks, which is a pretty short stay, having received these treatments, being given some different education than I had had that was maybe some more modern thinking. And it was like, they handed me a soapbox when I walked out because I was like, I understand this differently now, Mm. now that it's inside my body. And I need people to understand what is going on inside their body. And there grew the like, you know, I ordered every book off Amazon that anyone had ever written about grief and loss, started my own podcast, Grief is My Side Hustle, just basically so I could talk to people, all the smart people. It was like a trick, you know, will you talk to me about grief and loss? Um, And I really am sitting on this side, which is we have done people an enormous disservice in not Mm -hmm. teaching them about what is going on inside their brain and their body as normal. And I'll, I'll tell you one more thing. When I was getting sick, I was, and, and my sickness sort of took about a month and I, it was like, I was watching it. I knew if I would been my own therapist, I, you know, knew what was going on, but I knew not to run because I was too anxious and, and aggravated. And I knew that um, running would be too aggressive for my system. And that's, again, it's kind of like the yin and the yang, what part of the brain. So I started swimming in my local pool. I sort of hate swimming, but I was like, okay, I need to be, I need to be moving my body. And one day I got out of the pool and I couldn't get water out of my ear. And long story short, I had tiny bones that grew across my ear canal. It's Sorry, called- what? No, no, no. This is a real story. It's called surfer's ear. Now I did grow up on the water in Cape Cod. Um, it's It mostly happens to like 19 year old boys who have been, it's more common in men that have been surfing since they were like five or six. It's the body's response to cold water and cold air. And they grow these tiny little bones like stalactites and stalagmites up and down to protect your ear canal from what it thinks is water damage. But Mm -hmm. mine grew like over the course of a couple of weeks. And by the time, by the time I went to go to the surgeon, I had hearing loss. Wow. They had had occluded. So listen, what do I do all day? What's my daytime job? I listen. (laughs) Doctor was like, is listening a big part of your job? And I was like, wait a minute, are you serious? So when you think about the body's wisdom, Mm. which was like, Megan, we need you to attend to us. And not I had already thrown my back out. That was glorious. And then I discovered these bones across my ears, which ultimately I had to have surgery to have them removed. But our bodies will do whatever it takes to get our attention, to attend to something. Now we need the education to attend to it. Okay. You have my attention, but now what? 
Now, what do I do? How do I help myself? I I feel exactly the same, Megan. As soon as I I found out about the mind body connection and how grief sits in your body, it was life-changing for me. And I've heard you talk before about how talk therapy just wasn't enough. And like when you're so traumatized, like you can talk to the cows come home, but it's still fucking sitting in your body and not shifting. And like, I get such visceral reactions. Like I had a moment um, when I was in London, actually at, at Rebecca's Rebecca Sofa's talk. Yeah. And we had to do this exercise where we had to write a six word memoir about our life. And I've done that with her. <laughs> yeah. And my six word memoir was you never sung her happy birthday. And that was like, I wasn't crying, but my body started shaking and I was like sitting in the, in the audience. And I was like, people are going to see me shivering. And I was like trying to calm my body down. I wasn't like, yeah, I didn't feel super, like I did feel emotional, but I wasn't crying, but my body was like, you, you need to release something right now, you know, but if I hadn't have, known about this mind body connection I'd be like oh my god I'm having like a seizure like yeah. something's wrong with me I need to go to hospital because the anxiety starts to kick in and the fear starts to kick in and you think that yeah you're dying that's right and and what you're saying is so important because you know we don't need the additional panic of fear of our health mm. on top of what we need is someone to say it makes sense that you're shaking right now. Mm. You're, you know, there's a lot of emotion and it comes out in all different ways. And shaking is totally fine. You know, there's a type of therapy that I do where like shaking is considered just like when dogs shake it off. You know, when they see another dog and they growl, we don't have that ability to respond. Yeah. But you know, being able to think about grief as the emotional reaction to any kind of loss, like the loss of a parent, but also could be, you know, the loss of a contract that you didn't get, that it's an emotional, energetic response inside the body. And you don't know how it's going to come out. Like maybe it'll be migraines. Like we don't know. Or bones body, in the ear. Or bones <laughs> in your damn ear. Right? Like it just, and, and it has a wisdom to it, right? Like when I, when my kids were little, my daughter had febrile seizures, which scared the crap out of me. So she would get high fevers and get a seizure. And the doctor was like, yeah, bring her in. We definitely want to monitor her, but also lots of kids get this. I'd never heard of it before. I used to work in an emergency room at a children's hospital and I hadn't heard of it. I think I wasn't paying attention because I didn't have kids. My second son, anytime he got anything, he had strep throat and they were, and God love this pediatrician. He, what he did is he said, children have their own way of being sick. This one's going to get strep throat. This one's going to have febrile. They're going to do what they do. One of the things that's been really interesting for me during the pandemic. So, so my mom died. I was out of work for six months. You know, some of that time was being, um, was inpatient. Some of that time was recovering after ear surgery, which took a really long time. I went back to work for three months and then the pandemic closed us all down. Mm -hmm. And I loved that because I already felt like I had been kidnapped, you know, like in the back of a van and brought to a foreign country. And I was kind of there alone. And all of a sudden I didn't love the pandemic. I didn't love all the death. I loved how I didn't feel like the only person whose life was so crazy. You know, I felt like the earth now wasn't tilted on the same axis for anybody. 
But what happened over the course of the pandemic is I was sort of like this weird little like Sherlock Holmes pulling in clues and and pulling in data and like, what's good for me? What's important for me? And what I discovered, and, and you guys have had folks who talk about this, but what I discovered was stillness was not what my body wanted. My dad, when my dad died, I like repainted the house and got new chairs and like was homey and was rooted and was motherly. And when my mom died, I had, so, I felt like a, I felt like I had like a jetpack exploding inside me and we cleaned out her house, which was pretty beautiful and brutal during COVID. And then it was like time to go back to my house. And I started doing this thing at night where I was like a little bit rocking back and forth. And my husband was like, what is happening right now? And I was like, I can't be still. I cannot be still. I cannot conceive of going back to her house. I don't want to sit on the porch swing. And what we did, um, because God love that man, the only thing he's ever said no to me about is a dog. He was like, what do you feel like you need? And, you know, as a therapist, what we're often told when people are like, I need to make a big change. If something, if there's been a trauma and, and we do this in AA rooms too, if there's been a trauma, we're like, no, 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 no sudden moves. You need to... And I understand this really differently now. And I feel like I did not serve some of my patients well because no one could have made me stop moving. Mm -hmm. What happened was we just took my kids and my, you know, my kids and my husband were like, sure, we'll get in the van. Where are we going? And we drove across the whole country during COVID. And what people always say to me is like, what a great education for your children. You took them to see national parks and across states. And yes, that's true, but that was the secondary benefit to my grief not being able to sit still. And I wanted to be in vast places where like the energy was big. I wanted to be inside the Grand Canyon because that is how much energy I had inside my body. I got out of the car at the Badlands, which is in South Dakota. And you guys, it looks like dinosaurs are going to step I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never seen any pictures of it. And I felt like I could like breathe. I felt like this is ancient. It's been here so for so much life. And it, I just felt like the jet pack of impossible energy that was inside me was like, okay, we're going to let some of this out here and some of this out here. So a lot of what I talk to clients about is like your grief is a verb. Grieve is a verb. And you tell me and I'll, and I'll guide you. Like if you say you want to go back to bed and you've been in bed for 10 days, I might say, well, let me tell you a little bit about the brain and how maybe we want to activate your energy. Let's try it. And then you can still go back to bed. I feel like, go ahead. I feel like this conversation is hitting like epiphany after epiphany for me because I was thinking that's how for you. I have always been like, I'm busy. Like I like to keep busy. That's my energy style. And Im and I have had this like back and forth because I like when my mum died, I, I had to sort all of her estate out had to fly back to the UK and it was a really busy time. I didn't really have a choice, but not to be busy. But then when I got back to the UK, uh, to Australia from the UK, 
I went straight back to work. I was firing on, on all cylinders. And to be honest, like since then, you know, apart from like, you know, some weekends when I feel exhausted and like the, you know, there have been times when I've just felt really tired. I'm just busy. And, and Im and I have like, Im's like, what, you know, you're so busy. Like, it's almost like we've kind of had the conversation, like, am I avoiding my trauma? Am I avoiding my grief by keeping busy? And it's been something that I've like, we've kind of bounced off back and forth. And I've always thought like, well, is it an avoidance thing? Is me just being busy, like me avoiding my grief or is it like a trauma response? But also that is, maybe that's just like you're saying now, how my, my style, yeah. Mm. You know, that I love that question. And I've heard, I've heard you talk about this before. And again, I feel like if we show up with the idea that we are inventing this pathway forward as we go, there is no, there is no, yellow brick road that anyone else can tell us is the way forward. And so even as my, even with all my education and all my deep thoughts, I really am just trying to help someone co-create. You know, I have this menu in my office, which is like, these are all the things it's like a laminated menu that anyone has ever told me help them in grief. And they're everything from like sleeping, watching Netflix, cooking, gardening, running away, drinking to, I mean, it's everything. And so what I say to people, again, whose brains are not working normally, what I say is, does any of this seem possible? Could we try any of it? Just stop at the very first thing, which is the same thing I say to people who say they can't eat. I say, is there anything that your body believes that it might be able to eat just like a little bit of? Because all we're trying to do is like invite the body back online. So, you know, And I have people who come in and they're like, listen, my dad died 10 years ago and I've had migraines since then. I don't think they're connected. And I'm like, okay, well, you don't have to think they're connected, but let's just talk about what does grief look like in your body? Mm -hmm. What does grief look like in your life? Where do you grieve? How do you grieve? How do you, you know, the kinds of conversations I have in my office are like, do you do better with your grief when you're with people or on your own? And most people are like, huh, I don't know. And I'm like, great. So go out and feel your grief this week and wonder about that question. And then people will come in and be like, it's amazing. I I felt like I was going to cry by myself, but I didn't. And then I was telling my sister about it later over the phone and I cried with her on the phone. Like, great. So you might be somebody who does better with your grief with other people. Or like, where do you like to grieve? I like to grieve in my car. I'm a car crier. A lot of people to cry in the shower. Or what helps you grieve? Like, do you do well grieving while watching other people's stories on television? Mm-hmm. Does it, you know, or do you go out to nature and you cry? All of this is just build your own pathway. And if we pull off the judgment, like you're supposed to be doing it some way, however you're doing it is fine. And a lot of the folks who come to see me, you know, they come to me and they, they're, they've already diagnosed themselves with like prolonged grief disorder. You know, they've got symptoms that have been going on for a really long time. They didn't know that it was trauma. And I think it's important. I'll just say, you know, my definition of trauma is an event that happens that your body makes meaning of that is, is less good than the, than before the event. Right. So if you're traumatized, it means something negative came out of that event. And so everybody going through COVID has been through a trauma, but not everybody's been traumatized. I mean, some people are Mm. living their best life on account of COVID. Mm. Other people that come to see me have lost three family members on account of COVID. But if we were, if we think about this as, listen, we're just, 
with education, inventing a way forward, you are going to be running around. You are going to be a hustler. We're probably, I, I like that Chinese symbol of yin and yang. I am also, you know, I'm writing three books right now. I see a whole bunch of clients. I run a grief leadership call once a month. You know, I've got, I, I, I've got kids. I've got all the things. One of the things that my husband does because he was instructed to is ask me every night, are there any feelings I need to know about? Any feelings that I need to, good or bad? Because I won't stop to feel my feelings. And five mm. days later, I'll, I'll have that lost my wallet feeling and not really know what I'm pissed about. And it, I do better if somebody, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that does better not by myself, but with someone. So sometimes people will come in and they'll say, I haven't grieved my mother. She died 10 years ago. And first of all, yes, you did. You just didn't know what grief, you know, you packed up her house. Packing up someone's house is grief work. That is grieve as a verb. Most people say, men in particular, are like, well, you know, I don't cry. Like crying is one form of grieving. But if you go back to the notion that it's energy inside the body, that that energy is going to come out somehow, that maybe it would do better if we attended to it, right? Kind of like exercise or making sure that we eat or making sure we go to the bathroom, and for me and my work, which is not true of all people, most of the folks that are coming to me have had some difficulty with those kinds of things across their life because of early childhood trauma or traumas in general. And those, those sometimes interrupt kind of your innate ability to figure it out, hmm. figure out what is going to work for you in grief. And so, you know, sometimes I'm using these body-centered therapies to kind of unlock the energy or to bring someone in to their body and, and to even feel the energy. But for a lot of people, just that core learning of like, look, most people's memories are really screwed up. I always tell people the story about how I threw my American Express card away like five times and now I can't get one because they're like, we don't know. We think you're selling them on the black market. I'm like, no, my mom just died. And I don't know, I'd throw away the receipt and then also the credit card. And, that, I've been, and most I've people, been, I've been sending Sally pictures all weekend because I've just moved house again. Um, yeah. But I have, like, I do this weird thing where I just like bulk buy the most random shit. Like, I have like five um, <laughs> things of time and vegetable yeah. stock. I'm like, I never use this. Why do I keep buying it? It's, it's like funny. so weird. <laughs> and again, if you think about the idea of how the brain processes information, the fact that like, you can't remember if you have, you know, herbs at home, first of all, that's a low lift. That's not going <laughs> to harm anyone. You know, you're not going to break the bank, but also it kind of makes sense. Like it is actually a trauma to move. It is. And it requires the expense of your energy in all kinds of ways. And so when we get to herbs, we don't know. We can't remember. <laughs> don't, don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. Yeah. yeah. So many time puns. I know. I keep I keep getting all these like pictures of herbs and I'm like, oh yeah, it's the yeah. It's in the like grief shopping. Grief shopping. And right. Megan Go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say, um, do you think so we're talking about grief as as a verb, which is so interesting. And yeah. you're you're making me think now like I spent a month like sorting my mum's funeral out 
closing all of her bank accounts, like, you know, closing her life off, basically, you know, clearing her house out, all this stuff. And it was hectic, but maybe that was also me grieving because I am a bit of a doer by nature. And it's a really interesting concept. And I would love to know, like, A, do you think doing the work that you're doing now and your podcast has helped you grieve? And also what else has helped you grieve? Yeah. You know, so, and, and Sal, you, you mentioned that I had a, or one of you, I can't remember which one one of you said that I had, um, a moment where I was, um, I just lost my train of thought completely. That's grief. let me answer let me answer the question because because oh I know what it was is that I couldn't do regular talk therapy I I think you said yeah 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 I heard you on a podcast talking about it just like talking about my feelings was not helping me get in touch with the process that I needed to go through I wasn't a writer before my mom died I didn't keep journals I didn't need to um, process my feelings in that way. I was sort of like more lift, like a runner. Like I could just kind of see them and keep going. And it almost felt like a, like a church practice, like a prayer practice to wake up, which I, my sleep was really disturbed when my mom died. And so I was waking up at like three or four in the morning and not being able to go back to sleep again, I knew what was going on in my brain. I was trying the things that I knew to help regulate that. But also I, I knew that the brain sometimes turns things over and over, but will let them go if you write them down because it sees you record the information. And so then it doesn't have to continually remind you. That's sort of like the way ruminations work. So, and when I started writing, it was like, there's this Cecil Day Lewis quote, which is like, we read, you know, to know ourselves. And I just butchered the quote, cause that's not what it says, it's, it, <laughs> but it's essentially that, that we read and we write to sort of make sense to ourselves. So yes, the podcast, you know, a lot of the time, um, I end up crying on the podcast. I end up asking people real deep questions that I honestly have. Um, and I don't know that I'm ever going to know all the things about grief and loss. And I know that my own experience with grief is not translatable across everybody's experience. So I just sort of feel like I'm going to wonder about this forever and I'm going to want to help people with it forever. But I think because I had PTSD, because I still have PTSD and just for our audiences, you know, PTSD is your brains holding onto a memory in a particular way that causes the body to go back in time into the state that it was in distress at that moment. And often we think about it for like soldiers on a battlefield. And I think this is relevant also to um, your question about packing up your mom's house and that being grief work, because what we know about soldiers and also putting together a funeral is we cannot possibly feel all the emotions 
Emotions are these little electrical currents that run through our body that tell us, you know, how we are experiencing it. And Mark Brackett, who's at uh, the Center for Emotional Intelligence at Yale, talks about this, writes about this in a great book. Our feelings are our thoughts about our emotions. So emotions are these like present moment events that are these little electrical currents. And we may not even, we have, we have so many of them all day long that we may not even stop to realize like I was mad at my boss for five seconds or I felt afraid in the car or it just like passes through us. The more we have of one sort of type or a cluster, then we're like, oh, I was feeling sad. But sadness might also have anger in it, which it definitely does for me. I hate, I hated everyone after my mom died. It might also have sorrow and hopelessness. And, you know, it's like a little cluster of feelings. So I, I actually think when you're doing the like early days of grieving, we're not totally conscious to all of the feelings. And I think that's our body trying to protect us because we would collapse underneath them. And most of us like when we had things to do, we like when there was like, you know, you know, a funeral luncheon to plan or stuff to, it's terrible and it's hard, but it's a whole lot harder when it's like, well, okay, now what, mm. now what do I do with the feelings? Where do they go? So my long answer to your short question is I think a lot of what we're doing, we are doing the energetic work of grief work without being conscious that that's what we're doing. And so I think it's helpful to name it because I think it's helpful to understand grief work is lifelong. Sometimes it's concrete tasks and sometimes it's crying in the shower and that's all grief. And we can name all of that as grief. And I do this thing. This is a piece of my grief work that I have learned. And part of it does come from childhood trauma. I minimize my own emotional experience so much by not speaking it. That when someone says, oh, I'm going to my dad's 89th birthday, you know, up in New Jersey this weekend, I will stop and say, hey, I really want to hear about that. I just need to say out loud, I am doing the mental math that you got mm. your for nine more years than I did. And, and people will say, I'm sorry, I don't need you to be sorry. I just need to say it out loud because grief is so lonely and so isolating. And I know that's not good for me. Like that's part of how I got into PTSD. So I'm just going to say it out loud. Good on just, you. Right? Like I'm just, mm. so my grief work primarily these days is all the things that I'm producing out in the world in this academic way to kind of sort of share what I know and and encourage people, right? Like just coach them and believe in them and say, and if you're stuck and your symptoms are terrible, we'll treat them. I, I can help you treat them. Lots of people can help you treat them. But my own personal grief work does look, I hate to say this, I do meditate every day now because I do need the balance. I do actually need to give my brain some stillness. I do it every day. I do it, my, my sister and I both do it. Um, and I do it guided. So I don't sit like going um and being quiet. I have words and images so that I have something that my brain can attach to. And I really, even though I've been saying it to clients for decades, I actually really believe it's helping me now that I'm doing it. So I really believe in that. And the other part is to vigilantly name out loud when I feel the grief come up. 
And I have my best friend who's a big part of my life and has been since I was 11. She's on my team. I have another couple of friends who, who know grief from the inside and all they do is know that it's happening. They don't fix me. They Sometimes they don't even respond, but I text them. I have three people. My husband is another one. Um, like, you know, I, ha- I had some good work that I got to do that was super exciting the other day and with people I really admire. And I got off the Zoom and immediately burst into tears and just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed because I just really wanted, you know, to be excited the way I used to get excited with my mom. And I picked up my phone and was like, you know, I did the thing, the Zoom is over and I'm sobbing, but I'm okay. And, you know, those people one of whom hasn't really had tremendous loss in their life were able to say back to me, I see you, I get it, I know. And then it feels like this little paper chain of people who are connected because we all are connected in grief, whether it's present day or in the future. And when I say to folks, hey, just have someone you can tell, I always get someone who says, Megan, I'm so isolated, there is no one I can tell. And that is a belief that you have. Because I have had clients text their doorman, the guy at the dry cleaner. It doesn't have to be some, grief does not have to be validated by someone who knows you deeply because it is a, it's like telling someone you have a headache. It's Mm. that universal of an experience. We are the ones that put this thing like it needs to be, take it to therapy and what, and then an hour and don't, you know, don't bring it to work. It sounds like you've got some amazing things in your griefy toolbox, Megan. And like this chat's been fascinating. Sal and I, I think Sal has really taken so many things away from this, which is, it's so comforting. And, and, you know, we've been doing this podcast for years and we're still learning new things. So thank you so much for sharing everything with us. It's been Um, life-changing. Thank you, Megan. I have loved every second of this chat and it's so nice to finally have had this time with you because you are a bloody legend. Um, (laughs) Before we wrap though, can you tell us, quickly about your writing workshops and where listeners can find you. Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, you guys, this is, I, I, this is like a bucket list for me. I love you so much. I'm going to beg you to come over onto my podcast too. Um, come talk to me and my team. I, yeah, so there you can come for anyone who's listening right now, come over onto my Instagram. Cause that is, I'm an old lady. And like, that is the platform that I've learned how to do. And my Instagram auto populates onto my Facebook page. So at least those two are going, I run an ongoing grief writing workshop and there are, there are a couple of ways that it happens, but mostly I put together some prompts for us to do some writing together. And part of it is the process And part of it is the product. So how do we write to just sort of get our narrative? You know, when my mom died, it was really hard for me to just even say my mother died. Writing can help us sort of carry our narrative. And I have a whole bunch of prompts and I don't even give you the inside baseball behind it. I just give it to you and then you go through them on your own. It's a rolling thing. You can, as soon as you join, you can go back. So you can find that Megan Reardon Jarvis, or you can look as under grief is my side hustle. It'll take you to the same place. I talk about it a lot on my podcast, which is grief is my side hustle. Um, and I'm also, I'm lucky enough to be publishing my memoir 
with Zibby Books. Um, Zibby Owens is this extraordinary advocate for memoir and fiction from women. And she started a, she has her own podcast and she started a publishing company and my book's coming out in December with her. It's called the end of the hour. Uh, and it's about my experience with my parents' death and becoming traumatized and, you know, trying to get healthy again. The, the, um, Part of Zibby's work is she has something called Zibby Magazine, and I'm also teaching a process to product class. You have to pay for it, but it's me on the Zoom. I work with you on your writing. I work with you. You know, I'll give you, I give individual sort of advice. What, why don't you try this given what you've talked about? And I, that's starting in January. So folks can mid January and it's six weeks long and it should be super great. Um, so, yeah. So, and if people have questions about this stuff that we've been talking about, you can DM me. I am, you know, probably inappropriately responsive to my DMs on my Instagram account. <laughs> Same here. Um, <laughs> amazing. We'll include all of these links in the show notes. Megan, it has been such a delight to have you join you us. Thank you. you. We love you. And hopefully this is the not the end of our podcasting chats I um, think we have an international grief summit and have Rebecca <laughs> and Amber and, and you next yeah. time definitely 100% yes. let's make it happen <laughs> so many bloody light bulb moments in that chat especially for me that whole grief is a verb thing mind mind blown love it absolutely love it such an insightful chat guys we hope you enjoyed this app and found it helpful don't forget if you want to know more about how grief impacts the body we have a whole chapter in our book good morning honest conversations about grief and loss which you can pre-order via the link in our show notes or via the link in our instagram bio and don't forget our book is also available worldwide and before we go, guys, if you want to hang out with us in person, we are so excited to announce we actually have a few planned book events in Sydney, which is so cool. Um, so the details are in the link in our bio and Instagram, but just very quickly, we are going to be at Stanton Library in North Sydney, Tuesday, the 7th of March at 1pm. Come say hi. We've also got an in-conversation event at Gertrude and Alice Bookstore in Bondi in Sydney on Tuesday, the 7th of March at 6.30 p.m. And we're going to be at Kinokinua Bookstore in Sydney CBD on Thursday, the 23rd of March at 6 p.m. And we'll be talking all things grief, our story, doing a bit of Q&A. You'll get to mingle with fellow grievers, meet us and get a signed copy of the book. I mean, what is not to love about that? Busy bees we are. And also guys, please come and say hi to us and like maybe tell us your Instagram handle so we know exactly who you are. Because so, like, <laughs> so excited to meet you guys and we really hope to see you there. Um, This is our first, kind of these are our first live events. So it would mean so much to us to see you there. So bye for now, guys. Bye guys. Bye.